How you can know the perfect will of God is our theme for the month. We're using Romans 12 as our anchor verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the message of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've noted, particularly in verse 2, that the Bible tells us about what we call the perfect will of God and also about the good and the acceptable will of God, which we classified as the imperfect will of God. We're asking ourselves a question. How can I, as a person, be in the perfect will of God? Because that's what we want. We want to live in God's perfect will for our lives. God's perfect will is his complete will. God's perfect will is his full will. And we noted that when we are in the perfect will of God, this is the place where God wants us to be. When we are in the perfect will of God, it pleases God when we are in his perfect will. God is excited about us when our name is mentioned. When we are in the perfect will of God, we are excellently positioned. We are fitting exactly in God's plan for our lives. When we are in the perfect will of God, God is able to meet our needs. Because in the perfect will of God, that's the place where the needs, our needs get met. Our needs of provision and healing, safety, soundness and wholeness. God said if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. And so when we are in the perfect will of God, we know that God's provision is there for us. But when we are in the imperfect will of God, it could be is because we may be rebellious or we are rejecting what God has told us. And as a result, we are not in his original plan. When we are in the imperfect will of God, God is not pleased with us. He's just accommodating us simply because he's been patient with us. He's hoping we can repent. In the imperfect will of God, we may seem to have God's favor. But we are in the incomplete will of God and we are not fulfilling God's original purpose for our life. In the imperfect will of God, we are not properly positioned. We are unqualified for our job. And so we said we want to be in the perfect will of God. So we've covered the following points regarding being, establishing what the perfect will of God. We asked that question. How can I know what God's perfect will is? How can I know the perfect will of God? Number one, we said through the word of God. We said the word of God is the will of God. Can you say it with me? The word of God. Let me hear you, class. The word of God. Say it like you believe it. We said that things that we find in God's word, it's obvious there are things that God has told us in his word that are his will for our lives. For instance, it's God's will for us to walk in divine healing, right? It's God's will for us for our needs to be met. It's God's will for us to be protected. It's God's will for us to be delivered. So we don't ask that question. Whatever is in the word of God is God's will for my life. Why? The Bible tells me by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. The Bible tells us, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So I don't have to ask that question. We already know. But then secondly, we also note that we can establish God's perfect will by listening to the inward witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We delved into that last week and we went into details concerning that. Today, I want to cover something 
that I think is very topical and something that I guess in the last two years and in the last few years has been an area where kind of a lot of people have stumbled. And that is the role of prophecy in establishing God's perfect will for my life. How do I know if a prophecy that comes my way is God's perfect will for my life? How do I know? And I mean, I should ask the question, what is the role of prophecy? All right. So we're going to look at the role of prophecy in establishing God's perfect will. And that is, if there has been a prophetic utterance over my life, where guidance regarding God's will is given for my life, how do I filter and determine the veracity thereof? How do I know if what is said by the prophet or by the person prophesying over me, if is it so? And that is a very important thing. Now, I want, number one, to establish this as the foundation upon which we are going to build, right? Many people do not differentiate the role of prophecy and the role of the prophet in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They don't differentiate it. They kind of take Old Testament practice and apply that in their life as New Testament believers. And this is why many people go into error and lots of problems come their way. See, in the Old Testament, people would go to the prophet to find out what the will of God is, all right? They would go and ask the prophet, and the prophet would prophesy and speak to them. Even then, remember, the prophet didn't turn the prophecy on and off as he wanted, all right? The, prophecy, the prophet didn't do that. The prophet waited for the Spirit of God to come upon them before they prophesied. But nevertheless, People consulted the prophet. Thus, the prophet of the Old Testament was also called a seer, S-E-E-R, a seer, like somebody who sees. They could foresee the future. They could tell you what's coming in the future. So, you know, the king depended on the prophet. The priest depended on the prophet. The nation depended on the prophet. The people depended on the prophet. So the prophet was God's mouthpiece. The prophet was the extension of the voice of God because people didn't know how to hear God for themselves. And why is that? That's because the spirit of God was on the prophet. The Holy Spirit came upon the prophet and of course upon the priest, upon the king, but mostly upon the prophet. And God chose the prophet to become the spokesperson. And so if people wanted to know what God is saying, they would listen to the prophet. Because they didn't have the spirit of God on them, they had to go into consultation. Now, the difference is this. In the New Testament, if you are a born again child of God, all right, you already have the spirit of God upon your life and inside your spirit. All right? Not like the Old Testament people who didn't have the Spirit in them. You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And that is if you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. If you are not born again, Libala, all right? But if really you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you. And we have read from John 16. John 15 and many other passages that one of the roles of the Spirit of God is to guide us, right? Jesus says when he, the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. One translation says he will guide you into all reality and he will show you things to come. So which means when it comes to my personal 
private life. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give me guidance, is to show me things to come. Not necessarily show me the future, but to reveal what is coming my way. So, in other words, very often I will know in my heart what God's will is for me. I may not know how to identify it, but inside of me, I will know what the will of God is in my life. For that reason, the role of the prophet in the New Testament becomes different. In the Old Testament, when the prophet came to you, when they told you God's will, they told you what you didn't know. They revealed to you. So the prophecy in the Old Testament was revelation. But in the New Testament, when the prophet comes and talks to you, oftentimes when they talk to you about God's will for your life, you'll find that you already knew what they are saying. Therefore, their prophecy will not be revelation, but it will be confirmation. So when they say what they say, you will have already known about it. You may not have been sure about it, but it will not be the first time you hear it. It may be expressed differently, but it will be the same thing. Can I get a good amen from people here? Now, let's prove that by the scriptures. Because you see, people sometimes argue with these things. And I say, you know what? We have a pattern, which is the Bible. And let me say to you, Basalan, the Bible is the safest place you can go to in these areas because there is a lot of problems out there when we venture into spirituality without any guidance. You know, anything that we go into, Bazalana, we have to go, go into it within certain guidelines. You don't just go in there and, 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 and venture into things. For instance, if you're going to fly a plane, for instance, an aeroplane, all right? I mean, there's ways you must fly it. There are things that you must do. You don't just go there and freestyle. You know, you don't just freestyle and say, ah, today get like shy, so get like spinning some video, you know, you don't do that. You have to follow certain principles. If you follow the principles, then you are safe. If you freestyle, we'll bury you. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? So, so everything, everything has got ways. When you build, for instance, when this building was built, you know, there are certain walls here that are called weight-bearing walls, Right? And a weight-bearing wall, there's a certain way in which you build that wall. And you see all these columns, or you call them pillars. These columns or these pillars are carrying the weight of our roof. That's still structure there, right? The, and many of you may not know. You know, when they were doing this building, these columns, uh, that column goes like six meters down, that, that column there. Six meters down. See? see how big it is? It goes six meters down. And underneath this... Uh, our, what is this, our floor. There's other columns like this that are supporting this floor, you know. There's, I think we have 132 of them. Even if you don't see them, they're there. So, so we are actually sitting on the columns, okay. So, because this place here is clay soil, right. But when they were doing the columns, they were very strict as to the dimensions. How big the holes are. They were very strict in terms of the mixture of the concrete, the size of steel that they put in there. You just have to do that because if you don't do that, you're not going to have a building that is going to be strong enough. And you're not going to have a building that's not going to have cracks going over the wall. So they had to, to stick to that. So you, you, there are things that you cannot afford to do what you want. Did you understand what I'm saying, right? If you do what you want, you're going to land in trouble. And when it comes to the area of prophecy, most people don't know the principles. They don't follow the principles. Anybody comes and prophesies to you and you believe it. 
Right? You believe it. Because we pizza papa, you believe it. How many of you are sitting next to papa? Anyhow, let's just, let's just, let's leave that one alone. Okay, now. So this is what I want to show you. I want to prove to you from scripture that oftentimes when it comes to God's will for your life, God will ensure that he tells you what his perfect will is for your life. Whether it's through the inward witness, through the word, whichever way, that when the prophet comes and speaks to you, when the prophet is speaking to you, it will not be news to you. It will be something that you know. Let's start first of all with Paul. Here is Paul on his way to Damascus. He's not saved. This time he's called Saul. He's going to persecute Christians, all right? So on the way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Paul concedes, receives Christ as Savior and Lord. And we know that when he encountered Christ, he became blind. He was taken to a house in Damascus. And he's in this house in Damascus. He's sitting there and he's praying. All right? He's just had this experience that has blown him away. And he's sitting there and he's praying. Let's pick up the story. It says in Damascus, that's Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 16. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So this is another, in, in the same city. So let's say in Soweto. No, let's bring it closer. In Pinville. It's even better. In Pinville, there was another disciple called, uh, give me Lima, Zakele. <laughs> Am I right, ne? Zakel. There was another disciple called Zakel. So, so in the same place where Paul is, Paul is in Pinville. He's in another house called Pinville. Go zone, Lancaster zone. Say go zone seven, all right? Marako zone five. Go nale Zakel. Zakel is born again. How about you? I'm trying to explain the Bible. All right, all right, all right. Then it says, then the Lord called to him in a vision. So Zakel saw a vision. That's our modern day Ananias. Zacchaeus saw a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. Now watch this. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, Zone 7. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. So watch this. As, as Saul is praying this side, God is talking to another guy this side. In Totsamudim, we will always have confirmation. God's not going to take you by surprise. So, so Saul is praying this side. Zacchaeus is praying this, I mean, Ananias is praying this side. And, and God tells him, he says, go to such and such a place. You'll find Saul there, such and such a street. So God is even better than Google Maps. Right? He knows your location much better. So he knows where you are, knows your name. He even knows what you're doing. He says, you'll find this guy called Saul. He's praying. Note. He says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So, he says, he's praying he has seen you in a vision. He has already seen you in a vision. Are you there, Barcelona? God will always tell you what's coming. God will always inform you what's coming. You've seen in a vision a man named coming and laying his hands on you. Watch. To restore your sight. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. 
He has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now watch the next verse. Very important. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, watch this now, is my chosen instrument. To do what? To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. Now watch the last part. Verse 13 at the back. It says, I will what? I will what? I will show him how much he must what? Can you read it? It says, I will what? How much he must suffer for my? Say it again. I will do what? How much he must suffer? So Paul, at the very onset of him being a born-again Christian, called into the ministry, God already told him, you are going to suffer. You already knew. You already knew. When your path is going to be a path littered with suffering. Okay, so Paul gets saved, starts ministering, he travels all around, and I'm just doing a fast forward. And now, many years later, after he has ministered around in his ministry, then we read in Acts chapter 20, this is many years after, after Paul had preached around, gone around, he's come to the end of his life now. Watch now. In Acts chapter 20, we have a very interesting story. And it reads as follows. And from my letters, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said to them, this is Acts 20 verse 17. You know from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God, faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, note what Paul says, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul is saying, everywhere I'm going, the Holy Spirit is telling me that there's bonds that are waiting for me. There's affliction that's waiting for me. There is suffering that is waiting for me. Uto Aring, he says, but none of these things move me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. So Paul, he tells these people, he says, look, I know what's coming. Don't worry about me. I know that bonds are awaiting me. Afflictions are awaiting me. God has already told me about this. But now note, in chapter 21, Paul now is in another place called Caesarea. The next day, we were that of Paul's company. We left and came unto Caesarea. This is in another incident. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and we abode with him. And the same men had daughters, virgins which did prophesy. Now note, 
The Bible didn't say Philip's daughters were prophets. It said they prophesied. Just underline that they were not prophets. They just prophesied. We'll talk about that another day, not today. It says, and as we tarried there many days, they came down from Judea a certain prophet. Underline that. They came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. He took Paul's belt. So Paul's belt was over there with other belts. When Agabus comes into this place where they were, he goes straight to Paul's belt. Right? And he picks Paul's belt among other belts. And he ties himself with that belt. Note. And he says, Thus says the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this belt. And they will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now note, note. Please look at me. I didn't tell them in the first service. You are lucky you are in the second service. I didn't tell them in the first service. Note, Agabus is not telling Paul what to do. He is just telling him what's going to happen to him. So he's not telling Paul what to do. He's just saying, the Holy Ghost shows me this is what they're going to do to the guy who owns this belt. Right Now note, this is important. It says, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, we asked Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now this is where people always miss it. They say, no, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, I mean, that would be good. Take care of yourself. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get hurt. But remember, remember, it was God's will. For Paul to suffer. This is where sometimes people can get you out of God's will. Look at your neighbor and say, please don't try to get me out of God's will. So they talk to Paul. They ask him not to go there. But not Paul, what Paul says. Paul answered and said, what do you mean? Why are you weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? He says, for I am ready. Oh. I am ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I hear a good amen? amen. And when we would not persuade him, we see saying, the will of the Lord be done. So what Agabus was telling Paul was not revelation. It was confirmation. Because the role of the prophet in the New Testament is to confirm what you already know. And that is if you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. The role of the prophet is not to guide you, is not for you to consult with the prophet. See, today we live in times when people don't want to take responsibility for their lives. See, God has put his spirit in you. You have the responsibility to hear the voice of God. You must learn how to be led by the Spirit like I taught last week. You must practice until it works for you. But that's not what people do. People would rather go for consultation. I look at you and say, People would rather they go to somebody to ask them, tell me what God is saying. You know, I meet people all the time. All the time. You know, you are in pick and pay. You are trying to buy a grocery. And, I, and you are not in any mood. I'm not in any, I'm buying grocery. 
I'm buying grocery. And, and sometimes, you know, there's, you know, you're buying grocery. Your mind is not on the Bible. Your mind is not on at that time, Bazalan. I am thinking about oats. I'm thinking about, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about Psalms 91. I'm not, I, that, my mind is not there. And then Motuatari, ah, so I'm thinking about oats. I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about, I'm not. And, and, and be careful for a prophet who wants to give you an impression that he is connected to God 24 7, 365 and a quarter days. There's something that is wrong there. Something that is wrong there. Are you understanding what you are saying? So when Agabus came, he told Paul what he already knew. Are you, are you understanding? So it's important. So here are the filters that we use to filter prophecy. Number one, does the prophecy line up with the word of God? We've talked about that, but I want to go to that in details. When any prophecy comes, the first place to ask yourself, does this line up with the word of God? Why is it so important? Look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. I'm going to read it in the King James Version, and I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. Verse 19 says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this, watch this, that, that no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let me explain that to you, Bazalan. Let me explain that to you. Let me explain to you. You see, you can't take the Bible and put whatever interpretation you want on the verse. Okay, you, you can't. Just tell your neighbor. So, so you, can't, you can't do that. You can't just read a verse and run with that verse and interpret it on its own. No, no. The, the principles of Bible interpretation, what, what they call hermeneutics, that's what theologians call it, hermeneutics. There's several things that, that are important. Number one, any verse that you read in the Bible has got other similar verses with a similar truth. All right? So, so all those other verses with a similar truth if you read them and read this one, you'll sort of get a more or less general understanding of the meaning of that verse. That's the first thing. Number two, every verse when you read it, of course it depends who was it, uh, what were the words, who were they spoken to, what was the context, what was happening, and what was the historical time, and how does it apply to your timeline. Thirdly, Every verse we read in the Bible and everything we read in the Bible cannot contradict the, 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 the character of God. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's no way God can give you a verse that says go and steal. Uh, because it's, it's not God's character to be a thief. You see, God can't, God can't, God can't give you a verse or a prophet can't, can't, if a prophet comes to you and says, hate your neighbor, then you, you, want to, you want to know Rumara. Kanjani, because God says love your neighbor. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So there's no, there's no scripture in the Bible that is of private interpretation. You can't reinterpret it the way you like. It has to come within the framework 
of the principle. Everything in life has got principles and guidelines. In mathematics, you've got formulas, right? You've got formulas. In, in arithmetic, simple arithmetic, simple math, one plus one is two. You can't come and tell us it's three. You can't. You can't tell us it's four. It's two. And it's been two before you were born. And after you die, one plus one will still be two. It was there before you came. So a principle was there before you came. So you must respect it. The best you can do is to comply with the principle and work with the principle. Watch this now. If you start with a flawed formula, then your conclusion will be flawed. Do you understand me? So most people... When it comes to the Bible, they don't even go with the principles of Bible interpretation. They just take a verse, So as a result, what they deduce from the Bible is not what the Bible was saying in the first place. It is what they are saying, not what the Bible is saying. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay, let me read it to you in the Message Bible. In the Message Bible, it's, it's, it's amazing. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard. God's glory, God's voice, the prophetic word was confirmed to us. You'll do well to keep focus on it. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait for daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why? Because it's not something concocted in the human heart. Prophecy resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men and women to speak God's word. Yeah. See that? So, so you can't just put your own opinion on the word of God. Right? So that's the first thing, Basalan. You've got to be sure that whatever prophecy has been given, even if they've quoted a verse, all right? As a verse, you know, there are certain verses that people quote to get money out of your pocket. Or to get you into a certain vulnerable position so they use a verse. Whatever verse is used, does it line up with the entirety of scripture? Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? So that's the first filter you use. The second filter that we use is, does the prophecy that has been given produce liberty or bondage? Some of these prophecies are really bad because once it's been given, Koro, you can't move without this guy. Anywhere you go, you know, there was a, a church years ago, one preacher was telling me, they were preaching a doctrine that people couldn't make a decision without checking with their pastor. So if you want to go and buy furniture, you must come and check with your pastor and even ask him what kind of furniture. What does the pastor have to do with your furniture? Huh? Nothing. God has given you a brain to, 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 to decide what you need with your furniture. But there are these things that there is so much bondage in them. You can't move without the pastor. You can't move without this prophecy. He must approve everything you do. You know, you are not protected if you don't have their face on a t-shirt. It's so much bondage. So much bondage. You can't. So that's the thing you must ask yourself. This prophecy that has been given, does it bring bondage? Or does it bring fear? You know, some of this, if you don't do it, you're going to do such and such. If you don't obey, you're going to lose your mind. If you're not going to obey, your mother is going to die. Even if inside you are not free, ne? Mara, there is this threat. But if you don't do it, this is going to happen. So you have to ask you that question. Does it bring hate? Is it one of those things that says your neighbor or say, let's say something more dear? And then you start out Yeah? 
Then they say, your neighbor did such and such. Does it bring strife in the family? Suspicion or dependency on Papa? <laughs> and you become dependent. Anytime any human being puts themselves in the space of God, you must run away from them. Run away from them. Nobody is God. None of us is God. We are simply servants of the Most High God. Yes. No matter how anointed we are, no matter how much God uses us, we are human and God is God. Yeah. But does it get to a point where it does that? And I tell you, I've seen so many people comply and do what they've been told because so much fear has been pumped into them. You find you're not even given room to breathe. I mean, it's almost like you can't even think. The way they scare you. And people do things out of fear. I was telling them in the first service many years ago. My heart was so broken, Bazaran. We had a, a wonderful young man, grew up in a church. He, he finished matric, graduated from university, got a, an excellent job with one of the huge banks in our country. Great job this young man had. And one day he came to see me, and I could tell just from the way they were talking to me, something has happened to this brother. Because now he's telling me about this other place that he's now going to, and, uh, and there's a, a better whatever, anointing and everything, and, and they moved another level. And I said, okay. And he said, no. Uh, they were prophesying, and they were saying this. And I said, look, that was not correct. No. And, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's strange, some of you. And I, it, allow me. I'm, I'm surprised by some of you, you know. I'm not saying it in pride. By God's grace, several of us, we've worked with God for a few years. I've been fundis for 40 years. I'm not talking about being a Christian. I've been a pastor for years. I've gone to Bible school, studied the Bible. We are among pastors. We go to workshops. We talk with scholars, everything, everything. We analyze these things. And then somebody comes who's just finished Leadership 101. (laughs) Or they've just completed the discipleship course and they want to square up with you on these issues. And I mean, this young man was really trying to tell me the way he's heard from God. And I said, listen, that, that's, he, he just, and then he walked out of the office. I said, fine. A year later, he comes back. I could see when he came in, I said, shame. You know what had happened? Three things. One, he lost his job. Number two, he was 100,000 rents in debt. Three, he had lost his house. All to this prophet. Yeah. I tried to warn him. I tried to warn him. And he came and said, oh, no, right. You should have listened. Because there's a number of errors I pointed out with the prophecies he was talking about. I said, what about this? What about this? What about this? But he was so full of fear. Now, if I don't do it, something bad is going to happen to me. I said, listen, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. I understand, Barcelona. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Barcelona, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, don't, don't worry about any threat they give you. God is going to protect you in the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody shout in the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Once things start bringing bondage, you can't move, you can't go there, you can't breathe, you can't, you're just not free anymore. There's a problem. 
Now, I'm not talking about discipline. I'm not talking about living by God's word. I'm talking about now you're starting to be afraid of this. And, and there's these rules, you know. You can't, and how come when I can't say fita, you can't move, you don't. You know, you know that's all. I remember this, this, this is 19, in the 90s. We had, uh, we had somebody who came, and they found out later that it, there was a lot of problems with the, that ministry. And he had written books, and I'd read some of the books, and I said to Bazalana, I said, hey, please, Bazalana, mucho honor, there's a big problem. But Bazalana kahosa mamele, you know? Tell your neighbor, what's your marwena sometimes, our mamele, can you just tell them? <laughs> This person came to have a seminar. This person was, had newly come out of Satanism, but they were not a matured Christian. So they didn't understand the Bible much. They were more prone to talk about what they used to do in Satanism than what the Bible says. So even his ways and his ways of healing and delivering people, they were, they were very occultic, extremely occultic, very badly occultic, you know. So some of our members went there against Against, against the advice. They went there. They went there. And then they, I didn't know, but they went there Nicodemusly. They didn't tell us they're going. I told them, that, don't go. They became Nicodemus. How many of you are sitting next to Nicodemus? <laughs> tell them, against you went when Nicodemus. Against the advice of your pastor, you went. I only found out several months later when they came because now they couldn't sleep at night. Listen, this is important. This is important. This is important. Many people don't understand the dynamics of the influence that you sit under. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You sit under the influence. See, you don't understand how words transmit not just information, but they impart a spirit. See, when Paul, when Paul talked to the church in in Rome, he said, I long to come to you that I may impart a gift. Words impart. Words not only bring knowledge and information, they impart. So, so if, if, you, if somebody is occultic and you come under their words, that's why many people get influenced. That's why you, people take things and put them on their body, hang it up. Like a, you, you, I wish you understood what you're doing. You are, you are making an invitation. It brings luck. You don't even know. You don't understand what you're doing because by doing that, you are giving permission to an influence. I'm telling you, you are giving permission to an influence, you see. So they went to this seminar, this service, whatever, and then they couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep at all. Finally, they came for prayer, and, and we had to pray for them. Thank God, God helped them. But they told me about their child. They said, Monaka, my child can't sleep anymore. They have nightmares, all kinds of... Bazalan, when you come in a service where the Holy Spirit is moving, you don't go home and have nightmares. Are you understanding me? No. You live here free of bondage. In fact, if you used to have nightmares, that's the end of those nightmares in Jesus' name. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's liberty. 
God doesn't bring fear. God doesn't bring bondage. God brings freedom. Yes. Yes. So you must be very aware of it. The New English translation says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. Romans 8.15, the King James says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The complete English Bible says, You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. And sometimes they use fear to manipulate you. Yeah. If you don't do this, if you don't pay this, if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. So you're, you're afraid. So even if inside, inside you know there's no confirmation. Inside you know you are not sure. Inside you know you are not, you are doubting. Inside you, you have two minds about it. But you are being pushed by fear. You are being forced. So you end up doing it even if inside you are not sure. Oh yeah. God doesn't use fear. Mm. Read it anyway. Even when angels appeared to people and people were awestruck because of their magnificence and their power and when they fell in front of the angels, the angels, actually, let me go to that scripture. It will be my last scripture. I haven't finished, but I'll go to this one in the book of Revelations. Let me show you. Where, where am I here? Revelations chapter 19. John talking about the angel. When the angel appeared to him, the angel spoke to him, Revelation 19.10. He says, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. He falls at the feet of the angel to worship the angel. You know, he, he doesn't know. He just sees this great, incredible, powerful creature, you know, who's filled with all glory and power. But the angel said to me, don't do that. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you. With your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Look what the angel says. Worship God. Ah, somebody shout hallelujah. Worship God. Any angel that comes from God will not ask to be worshipped. And any angel that appears to you and tells you to worship it is not an angel that comes from God. Right there in the Bible. Yeah. This angel says worship God. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. Worship God. Can I hear a good amen? It says, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, this angel is saying, listen, when, when prophecy comes and when the spirit is moving, the spirit will always lift Jesus higher. Yeah. When God is moving, he lifts Jesus higher. Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is the only name under heaven through which men can be saved. It's Jesus, Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus. We don't preach our names. We don't preach our churches. We preach Jesus. There's no salvation in my name, but there's salvation in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. We preach Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit is moving, he will lift Jesus higher. Can I hear a good amen? In the King James, it reads, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you don't do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Well, whenever prophecy is in manifestation, we must ask ourselves that question. Number three, does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? Any prophecy that doesn't glorify Jesus, that doesn't highlight God, any prophecy that shows you a man, bonds you to a man, makes a man God, you run away from it. Are you there, Barcelona? Any prophecy that comes from God will talk about Jesus as the Lord of Lords. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. So prophecy should draw attention to Jesus and not draw attention to the prophet. Use that as a filter. Use that as a filter. Use that as a filter. And I believe God will help us. I want to pray, Barcelona. Because I know that often people fall prey to these things. And, and as I was speaking, sometimes people go for consultation, kai kai, and you came back with an influence that has bothered your life. Yeah. Ever since you went there, came back, and there's all kinds of strange things happening. Nightmares. You get choked at night when you're sleeping. Things come to your life that are strange. Brings fear, doubt. Your life is just a nightmare. The word of God has come to you today to bring freedom to your life in the name of Jesus. And today, God wants to set you free. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask you, even those of you who are watching and streaming from the other churches, maybe you came on your own or somebody invited you, but as yet you know that Jesus is not the Lord of your life. And today, you want to invite him into your life, into your heart, to be your Savior and your Lord. Jesus wants to change you. In this auditorium, if you're here, maybe you've come for the first time. Maybe it's not your first time, even in the other places. But as yet, you haven't invited Christ to come into your life. And today, as you've been listening to God's word, you realize that Jesus is the only one who can change our lives. I want to pray for you. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you say, please, I need to be prayed for. My life is not right before God. Would you raise your hand, please? Just raise it high let, where you are. Let me pray for you. Raise it high. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Raise it high. Here I am. I bring my life to God. I come just as I am. Because I know that Jesus is able to change me and make me a new person. When we come to God, we come with humble hearts. We come just as we are. He's able to change our lives. The people who raise their hands, would you please just stand on your feet, please, where you are. Ask the rest of us, bow your heads, please close your eyes. Those who raised your hands, just stand on your feet. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for you. Can I invite those of you who are standing, who want to receive Christ? I want to pray for you. Would you take all your belongings and just walk to the front and come stand here facing the stage? I want to pray for you. Just come, come, young men. And those of you in the other buildings... Walk to the front of that building as well, right where you are.